get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, August 11th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Typhoon Kanun's expected to make landfall in Liaoning province in the northeast after cutting across the Korean peninsula. China's foreign minister is in Singapore and has met with the city-state's prime minister. And Hawaii's governor says the wildfires on Maui are the largest natural disaster in state history. In business, China's resumed group travel in more overseas destinations. In sports, England captain Harry Kane's on his way to Germany. In culture and entertainment, the Emmys have delayed this year's awards show. Now checking the day's top stories. Well, China's on high alert for Tropical Storm Kanun, which is expected to land in Liaoning in the northeast after cutting through the Korean Peninsula. China's National Meteorological Center says parts of Liaoning and the provinces of Jilin and Heilongjiang will be affected by strong winds and heavy rainfall. Zheng Saran has the latest from Liaoning. Now the local weather officials tell me that Typhoon Kanun continues to move north over the Korean Peninsula as a tropical storm and is likely to move into China's Liaoning province and weakening to a tropical depression. There is also a possibility that it may dissipate along the China DPRK border. Now over the next few days, Dandong is likely to experience moderate rain as well as gradually weakening winds. And as part of the emergency measures, now over 2,000 fishing boats have been recalled to harbor for shelter. And now offshore fishing operations and passenger transport have been suspended. Also, the tourist sites alongside rivers and sightseeing boats have been temporarily closed to ensure public safety. In Heilongjiang province, where we just left, efforts are being made to quickly drain water from the rice fields. And if soaked in flood water for too long, the rice plants are also prone to pest and disease infestations. Therefore, experts believe the timely application of fertilizer and pesticides is also one of the ways to ensure the rice yields later on. That was Zhang Saran reporting. Heilongjiang province has issued two red alerts for rainstorms, the highest in the country's warning system, as Typhoon Kanun moves northward into the province. Cities including Hegang, Jamuse, Shuangyashan, Jishi, and Mu Danjiang are expected to see rainfall of up to 110 millimeters through Friday evening. In meantime, the state railway operators suspended several passenger train services for safety as the storm approaches. The main railway station in Harbin has streamlined the refund process. We've opened more ticket and refund windows. For passengers with tickets of out-of-service trains, they can get refunds of their ticket within 30 days. In addition, the station has dispatched the service staff to provide guidance and consultation in the ticket hall. The stations advise passengers whose regular trains are cancelled to switch to high-speed options, as many of those remain in service. Flood hit Wuchang in Heilongjiang province is preparing for another round of heavy rainfall. Local authorities have deployed more staff to examine rivers and dams and help evacuate residents in flood-prone areas. In Shanfeng village, workers have been bolstering riverbanks with boulders. 
We've dispatched nearly 200 workers and 40 vehicles for flood prevention, emergency rescue, and repair of damaged dams to safeguard people's property. Well, so far, 24 townships in Wuchang have evacuated residents to safer locations ahead of Typhoon Kanun making landfall. Chinese authorities have earmarked an additional 1.5 billion yuan, roughly 200 million U.S. dollars, to five flood-hit provincial regions in northern China. The Finance and Emergency Management Ministries say the money will help fund disaster relief work in Beijing, Tianjin, Hebei, Heilongjiang, and Jilin. So far, the central government's allocated over 7.7 billion yuan in emergency funding since the flood season began. Insurance institutions in Beijing have received over 27,000 claims related to rain-caused disasters, with the total compensation reading 300, uh, reaching 380 million yuan, or around uh, 53 million U.S. dollars. Authorities say around half of the claims uh, occurred in Fengshan and Mentogo, the two districts worst hit by the recent rains and floods. Meanwhile, the estimated loss in the city's agricultural insurance sector exceeds 32 million yuan. From July 29th to August 2nd, Beijing was battered by severe torrential rains triggered by Typhoon Doksuri, leaving 33 people dead and 18 others missing. It was the heaviest rainfall in the capital since records began 140 years ago. In the northern province of Hebei, heavy rainfall brought by Typhoon Doksuri has left 29 dead and 16 others missing. Zhuazhou was among the hardest-hit cities in the region. It's also home to several large-scale book warehouses. As uh, the floodwaters have receded, business owners are busy taking stock of their losses. Zhou Yixin has the story from a book warehouse in Zhuazhou. Staff are trying to save the books that haven't been ruined by the floods. Jojo is an important place for the book publishing industry. There are many warehouses here, most belonging to middlemen who distribute books from publishing houses to libraries and other institutions. In this warehouse, it is estimated that at least 80% of the books, nearly 500,000 volumes, will be ruined. Most of the ruined books will have to be thrown away. Most middlemen run small and micro enterprises, which cannot withstand such heavy losses. On August 4th, the e-commerce platform Taobao launched a campaign to help disaster-stricken book businesses. Taobao set up a special event for Zhuzhou, and within three days, nearly 120 affected book businesses signed up in the city. Since the launch of the campaign, many people have bought books from Zhuzhou. The cumulative turnover for orders has exceeded 30 million yuan, that's around 4 million U.S. dollars, helping small and medium-sized businesses affected by the disaster to recover. In some businesses, such as express delivery, staff have been able to get back to work much sooner. Working together in the aftermath of a great disaster, residents of Jojo hope the worst is over and life will soon return to normal. That was Joe Yixin reporting in Jojo. Theme parks and tourist towns that offer immersive spaces with a blend of visual, sound, and technology have been burgeoning in China over the past few years. Parks that are built to pull travelers into famed historical stories, classic novels, and Chinese legends are especially gaining in popularity. Guayan has more. <laughs> Performers dressed in gorgeous costumes greet visitors at a theater in the theme park in Langfang, a small city that is about one hour's drive from Beijing. The park named Unique Dream Red Mansion opened to the public last month. 
It was built based on the Dream of Red Mansions, which is a masterpiece in Chinese literature. With dazzling light and sound effects, spectators are pulled into the scenes of the classic novel depicting the rise and fall of a famed noble family. The immersive experience enables them to interact with the environment and their beloved protagonists in the book. I think the light was very impressive. The special stage effects such as the rainfall created by technology looked so real. The sound effects are stunning. As the characters appeared one by one, we were brought into the scenes in the novel. The environment of the park recreated the scenes in the book. I read the book and watched the TV drama and the movie. It felt like we walked into the world in the dream of Red Mansions. The idea behind the design of the park is quite novel and original. I read the book in high school. Here, travelers can rent the traditional dress of the Han people to dress up as the characters in the novel. The tragic destiny of the twelve beauties of Jinling unfolds in front of our eyes. I have a deeper understanding of the novel. The tourist town is one of the many immersive travel spaces that have been burgeoning in China. A report shows that the immersive industry in China started to show rapid growth in 2016. By the end of 2019, the country had over 1,100 projects in the sector. The Ministry of Culture and Tourism has set a target to cultivate 100 more immersive spaces by the end of 2025. It's expected that the sector will attract more investment and financial support. Dai Bin is dean of the China Tourism Academy and director of the data center of the Ministry of Culture and Tourism. He says the growth momentum reflects the changing habits of tourists in China. Tourists are able to engage in the dramas or scenes. They become creators rather than recipients. This reflects the changing landscape of the sector, where today's travelers like interactive experiences. In an immersive scenario, tours are part of the performance, while actors and actresses walk into the audience. Big travel companies in China have eyed the new trend and started to increase investment. Last week, China's top economic regulator released a set of measures to expand consumer spending in the tourism sector, and fostering immersive spaces is part of that. Dai points out that, judging from the data of the Labor Day holiday, China's tourism market has shown steady recovery, and new travel products and diverse experiences will help accelerate the growth. For the Beijing Hour, this is Guo Yan. Coming up, China's foreign ministers met with Singapore's prime minister. Georgia, a city nestled at a confluence of multiple rivers, has become one of the most severely flooded cities in the past two weeks. The deluge, equivalent to the force of seven Yellow River's main streams, raged into the northern Chinese city during the peak of the recent flooding caused by Typhoon Duxury. To understand the ongoing efforts of post-disaster relief in Georgia. And uncover why the losses were worse than expected. Join us in this week's episode of Deep Dive, available on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Deep Dive. 
It's 12 minutes past the hour. Singaporean Prime Minister Li Shenlong has met with visiting Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. Wang said the elevated partnership between the two countries has incentivized the cooperation. The Singaporean leader praised China's efforts to push forward modernization, saying his country is ready to strengthen cooperation with China. Earlier, the Chinese Foreign Minister met with the Singaporean counterpart, and the two sides vowed to keep promoting the construction of the Belt and Road Initiative. Aliyah Sani has more from Singapore. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's four-day diplomatic visit to Southeast Asia encompassing Singapore, Malaysia and Cambodia. He touched down in the city-state of Singapore on Wednesday, accepting the invitation extended by his Singaporean counterpart Vivian Balakrishnan. Singapore's Ministry of Foreign Affairs has said that China's Foreign Minister is also scheduled to meet individually with Prime Minister Li and Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong. The visit by the Chinese Foreign Minister follows Singapore and China elevating their bilateral relationship earlier this year. The partnership initially coined the all-round cooperative partnership progressing with the times in 2015 has now matured into the all-round high-quality future-oriented partnership. In a joint statement issued at the time, both parties expressed enthusiasm for boosting cooperation in trade, investment, sustainable and digital economies, food security, finance, aviation and people-to-people exchanges. Assistant Professor Benjamin Ho from the Rajaratnam School of International Studies in Singapore has said the current visit from Wang Yi reflects the strong ties between the two countries. He anticipates a candid and forthright discussion between the officials given their history of frequent interactions. The director of the ISIS Yusuf Ishak Institute, Mr. Choi Shing Kwok, said the trip demonstrates the high priority China places on relations with Southeast Asia for both economic and strategic reasons. He further added that the visit offers Beijing an opportunity to articulate its stand on recent developments in its relationship with the United States. Mr. Choi Shing Kwok also said China's decision to engage with Singapore, Malaysia and Cambodia regarding such issues underscores the significance it places on Southeast Asian perspectives in international affairs. And that was Aliyah Sani reporting. The Nigerian president says no options are off the table, including the use of force as a last resort if the military junta in Niger defies the deadline to reinstate ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. Bola Ahmed Tanubu made the remarks while chairing a meeting of the Economic Community of West African States in Abuja to discuss the situation in Niger after the military coup. As you may recall, we call the junta to rescind the decision of, the t- of them toppling a democratically elected government. We proceeded to impose sanctions with the hope that this resolute measure will serve as a catalyst for the restoration of the constitutional order in Niger. Regrettably, the seven-day ultimatum we issued during the fourth summit has not yielded the desired outcome. Tanubu says members of the West African regional bloc have voiced their solidarity with the people of Niger and Bazoum by condemning the military coup and the home detention of the ousted president. ECOWAS has imposed economic and travel sanctions on the militants involved in the coup in Niger and have threatened to use military force if Bazoum is not reinstated by Sunday. The coup leaders have detained Bazoum in his home along with his family. Uh, Kalechi and McCallum has more from Abuja. 
The West African Regional Bloc ECOWAS delivered a resounding message during an emergency summit held in Nigeria's capital, Abuja. As tensions rise in the wake of the July 26th coup in Niger, the leaders have vowed to take decisive actions to restore democracy and constitutional stability in the nation. The summit, attended by leaders from across the region, saw Nigeria's President Bola Tinubu, also the ECOWAS chair, asserting that all options remain on the table, including the possibility to use force as a last resort. This declaration comes after the coup leaders defied ECOWAS' previous threat to use force to reinstate democratic leadership. During the summit, President Tinubu emphasized the unity of purpose among member states. He reiterated ECOWAS' unwavering commitment to support Niger on its journey to peaceful democratic stability. The regional Block made it clear that it would not stand by idly while those responsible for the coup thwarted the return to power of democratically elected president Mohamed Bazoum. The situation in Niger has sparked widespread concerns, prompting both citizens and neighboring nations to demand a swift resolution. The activation of the standby force highlights the readiness of the region to intervene if necessary. ECOWAS leaders emphasized its intention to impose sanctions and travel bans on those obstructing the return to power of President Bazoum. Meanwhile, military leaders in Niger told a U.S. official this week that they would kill ousted President Mohamed Bazoum should ECOWAS make good its threat on a military action. While tensions run high, the region remains hopeful for a peaceful resolution. As President Tinubu aptly put it, all is not lost yet. The days ahead would reveal the effectiveness of the regional effort to ensure Niger's return to a democratic path. That was Kalechi and McCallum reporting. Ecuador is in a state of emergency and uh, three days of national mourning following the assassination of a presidential candidate. Fernando Villavicencio was one of the eight candidates vying for the presidency, but he was shot at close range as he exited a campaign rally. Police say the suspected shooter is dead and officers have arrested six Colombians. Nicolas Suarez reports from Quito. Hours after the assassination of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio, the country is still in shock. According to witnesses, the 59-year-old candidate was attacked by gunmen when he was getting into a car after exiting a campaign rally in the northern part of the capital city. Multiple shots were heard at the scene, reportedly killing Villavicencio even before he could be transported to a nearby hospital. Villavicencio was not a front-runner candidate, but throughout his career as a union leader, journalist and lawmaker, he was outspoken on the need to address crime and corruption, often accusing politicians of being entangled with organized crime and drug trafficking cartels. He said he'd recently received death threats from a top Ecuadorian crime boss known as Fito, currently serving jail time. In response to the killing, outgoing Ecuadorian president Guillermo Lasso vowed the crime will not go unpunished and declared a nationwide 60-day state of emergency. The armed forces as of this moment are mobilized throughout the national territory to guarantee the security of citizens, the tranquility of the country, and the free and democratic elections of August 20th. 
at least nine other people were injured in the attack, including a former congresswoman and two police officers. According to the authorities, one of the suspects died in an exchange of fire with security personnel. Also, government officials reported that six people have been detained in the raids ordered across Quito after the killing. This political crime comes just two weeks after the assassination of Agustin Intriago, mayor of the port city of Manta, who was, according to Villavicencio's team, a supporter of his candidacy. That was Nicolas Suarez reporting. Top diplomats of Mexico and the United States have discussed irregular migration taking place through Mexico towards the U.S. border. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says one of the responses to the challenge is to expand legal pathways for migrants. You all know this, but it always bears repeating. Um, we have historic record levels of migration going on around the world, more than 100 million people on our planet, on the move, uh, away from their homes. In our own hemisphere, well over 20 million people. Um, so what we've determined to do is to work as a region to make migration more safe, more orderly, and more humane. Media reports say there has been a record migratory flow to the U.S. from Latin American countries. U.S. authorities have reported millions of encounters with migrants on the southern border over the past year. Mexican Foreign Secretary Alicia Barsenia proposes that a place be established in the country's southeast to evaluate whether the migrants are eligible to enter the United States. We don't want people to continue risking their lives, putting it in jeopardy in the north. So that's why we think that the south is the best place where we can receive these people, and therefore that is one of the overarching topics that we were talking about. And I'm grateful because we have such a fruitful dialogue that we must continue. Barsenia also says her country is pleased that a lawsuit's been filed against Texas demanding the state remove the boys on the real Grand. A Texas Governor Greg Abbott ordered the placement of the floating barriers last month to stop the irregular passage of migrants. Concerns have been voiced about drowning risk from the barriers and their environmental impacts on the river. At least one person was killed and 16 others injured after a Russian missile struck a hotel in the Ukrainian city of Zaporizhia. In the town of Kupiansk, authorities have urged residents to leave the area due to increasing Russian attacks. Russian officials say two people are dead after Ukraine shelled a village in Russia's Bryansk region near the border. Dasha Chernyshova has more from Moscow. The Russian Defense Ministry says the Russian army has improved its position on the front line around Kupiansk. Moscow also claims to have downed over a dozen Ukrainian drones seeking to attack the Russian cities on Thursday. According to the Defense Ministry, air defenses thwarted terrorist attacks, destroying two drones flying in the direction of the capital Moscow and bringing down 11 others near the city of Sevastopol. No casualties or destruction has been reported, but air traffic was disrupted at two international airports, Vnukova and the Madedova. And in Russia's Bryansk region that borders Ukraine, at least two people have been killed as a result of the Ukrainian shelling. Meanwhile, Russia's agriculture minister, Dmitry Patrushev, said Moscow will deliver grain to six African countries free of charge in the near future. Patrushev said Russia exported 60 million tons of grain last year and expected to export about 55 million tons this year. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting. 
a senior UN official, says hostilities at the Ain el-Hilwa camp for Palestinian refugees in Lebanon have uh, displaced several hundreds of families. Dorothy Klaus is the director of the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East, and she says the hostilities have destroyed habitat. Between two and 400 houses are expected to have been um, demolished within the camp and in the vicinities. And we've had an UNRWA school complex for over 3,000 children violated and additional installations, including other schools and a health centre, possibly also damaged. Uh, Klaus made the remarks following her visit to the camp, where she also met with some of the refugees. The image was that of um, distress, um, talks about um, children having been traumatized, women's hair having been turned white uh, during the hostilities. I think this also needs to be understood in the context of multiple displacement that Palestine refugees have experienced over the past 75 years. The official says they'll take part in a high-level meeting next week between various Palestinian parties in the Lebanese government to discuss issues such as rehabilitation and reconstruction work. The top police officer in Northern Ireland's apologized after a data breach released personal information on over 10,000 officers and staff to the public. Chief Constable Simon Byrne of the Northern Ireland Police Service says the key priority is to remain alert for the safety and welfare of officers and staff. An early worst-case scenario that we have been dealing with is that third parties would attempt to get this data to intimidate corrupt or indeed cause harm to our officers and staff. Byrne warns that Republicans claim to be in possession of some of the information about police officers circulating on WhatsApp following the incident. He says they're advising officers and staff about how to deal with that and any further risk that they face. The breach occurred when the force responded to a freedom of information request seeking information about the number of officers and staff of all ranks and grades across the police service of Northern Ireland. The response accidentally included a table that contained the family name, location and department for all employees. At 25 past the hour, Hawaii Governor Josh Greens called Maui's wildfires the largest natural disaster in the state's history. The fast-moving inferno has left at least 53 people dead and turned the resort town of Lahaina into smoldering ruins. As many as 1,000 buildings have been damaged or destroyed. Hundreds are in shelter and thousands are without power. Search and rescue efforts continue. Communities in British Columbia are continuing to face wildfires and evacuations due to drought. More than 600 people are under an evacuation order so far. Officials say there are nearly 400 wildfires burning across the province in western Canada. Forest Minister Bruce Ralston says one of the top priorities is to protect water supplies. Protecting water supplies is vital for the people, communities, First Nations, as well as the fish and wildlife who depend upon our rivers. Water supply is also vital for firefighting. The impacts of drought conditions in certain watersheds are extremely serious. And as the drought continues, there will be situations where difficult decisions will be made by the Ministry of Forests to protect water supplies. 
My ministry is closely monitoring stream and river flows and taking regulatory action as needed. Authorities say the provinces received rain and cooler uh, conditions this week, but will soon return to temperatures that are higher than normal. Officials have broken ground in southeast Louisiana on a $3 billion U.S. dollar project to fight coastal wetland loss. The Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion Project involves building massive gates in a section of levee in a rural area southeast of New Orleans. The project will also include a channel to divert some of the sediment-laden waters of the Mississippi River into the Bar uh, Barataria Basin. Executive Director Brent Haas of the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority says the project aims to address coastal crisis at its fundamental core. We take pride, as we often should, uh, when we successfully address consequences of our land loss, our barrier islands, our living shorelines, ridge restoration projects, marsh restor restoration projects, all provide tremendous near-term benefit for both our people and our places here in Louisiana. But today is different. Uh, solids in the river are expected to settle uh, in the Barataria Basin and gradually restore land that's been eroding for decades if the project works properly. We're at 28 past the hour, Beijing has moderate rainfall this evening down to 23 degrees, a light rain tomorrow at the high of 29. Chongqing is getting a light rain in 30 this evening. The rain will continue through the day tomorrow at the high of 36. Lhasa has showers overnight, 12 degrees, then a light rainfall in 23. Hong Kong will be getting heavy rain in 26 this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 30. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 25 overnight, partly cloudy, and 33 on Saturday. Islamabad's 26, then uh, thunderstorms in 36. Bangkok's at 27 overnight, then thunderstorms in 35 on Saturday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Typhoon Canoon's expected to make landfall in Liaoning Province in the northeast after cutting across the Korean Peninsula. And China's foreign ministers in Singapore and has met with the city-state's prime minister. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. <laughs> Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world, this is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Friday. Still to come, 
In business, China's resumed group travel in more overseas destinations. In sports, England captain Harry Kane's on his way to Germany. In culture and entertainment, the Emmys have delayed this year's awards show. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly known as Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, a check of the day's headlines and China's on high alert for Tropical Storm Kanun, which is expected to land in Liaoning Province in the northeast after cutting through the Korean Peninsula. China's National Meteorological Center says parts of Liaoning and the provinces of Jilin and Heilongjiang will be affected by strong winds and heavy rainfall. Chinese authorities have earmarked an additional 1.5 billion yuan, roughly 200 million U.S. dollars, to five flood-hit provincial regions in northern China. The Finance and Emergency Management Ministries say the money will help to fund disaster relief work in Beijing, Tianjin, Hebei, Heilongjiang, and Jilin. So far, the central government's allocated over 7.7 billion yuan in emergency funding since the flood season began. Singaporean Prime Minister Lee Shen Long has met with visiting Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, with both sides pledging to advance bilateral cooperation. Lee said Singapore supports the Association of Southeast Asian Nations in deepening cooperation with China and jointly safeguarding regional peace, stability and development. Wang Yi said China's development will bring lasting benefits and development opportunities to all countries in the world, but especially neighborhood countries. The Chinese Foreign Minister is in the city for a two-day visit. He earlier met his Singaporean counterpart, Vivian Balakrishnan. Uh, the two sides pledged to keep promoting the construction of the Belt and Road Initiative. A U.N. official says Secretary General Antonio Guterres is concerned about reports that coup leaders in Niger are holding the president in deplorable conditions. Deputy spokesperson Farhan Hawk made the remarks following reports saying that Mohamed Bazoum and his family are living without electricity, water, food or medicine. The Secretary General reiterates his concern over the health and safety of the president and his family and once again calls for his immediate unconditional release and his reinstatement as head of state. The Secretary General is also alarmed over continuing reports about the arrest of several members of the government. He urgently calls for their unconditional release and for the strict adherence to Niger's international human rights obligations. Uh, Bazoum's been uh, under house arrest uh, since being ousted in a military coup. Hawk says the UN efforts to provide the people of Niger with humanitarian aid is continuing. A senior UN official says hostilities at the Ain al-Hilwal camp for Palestinian refugees in Lebanon have left several hundreds of families displaced. Dorothy Klaus is the director of the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East, and she says the hostilities have destroyed habitat. Between two and four hundred houses are expected to have been um, demolished within the camp and in the vicinities. And we've had an UNRWA school complex for over 3,000 children violated and additional installations, including other schools and a health center, possibly also damaged. Uh, Klaus made the remarks following her visit to the camp where she also met with some of the refugees. Hawaii Governor Josh Greens called Maui's wildfires the largest natural disaster in the state's history. The fast-moving inferno has left at least 53 people dead and turned the resort town of Lahaina into smoldering ruins. As many as 1,000 buildings were damaged or destroyed. Hundreds are in shelters. Thousands are without power. Search and rescue efforts continue.
Communities in British Columbia are continuing to face wildfires and evacuations due to drought. More than 600 people are under an evacuation order so far. Officials say there are nearly 400 wildfires burning across the province in western Canada. And Forest Minister Bruce Ralston says uh, one of the top prior, uh, priorities is to protect water supplies. Protecting water supplies is vital for the people, communities, First Nations, as well as the fish and wildlife who depend upon our rivers. Water supply is also vital for firefighting. The impacts of drought conditions in certain watersheds are extremely serious. And as the drought continues, there will be situations where difficult decisions will be made by the Ministry of Forests to protect water supplies. My ministry is closely monitoring stream and river flows and taking regulatory action as needed. Authorities say the provinces received rain and cooler conditions this week, but will soon return to temperatures that are higher than normal. The top police officer in Northern Ireland apologized after a data breach released personal information on over 10,000 officers and staff to the public. Chief Constable Simon Byrne of the Northern Ireland Police Service says the key priority is to remain alert for the safety and welfare of officers and staff. An early worst case scenario that we have been dealing with is that third parties would attempt to get this data to intimidate corrupt or indeed cause harm to our officers and staff. Byrne warns that Republicans claim to be in possession of some of the information about police officers circulating on WhatsApp following the incident. Well, he says uh, they are advising officers and staff about how to deal with that and uh, any further risk that they may face. The breach occurred when the force responded to a freedom of information request seeking information about the number of officers and staff of all ranks and grades across the police service of Northern Ireland. The response accidentally included a table that contained the family name, location, and departments for all employees. And that's your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's resumed group travel to more overseas destinations. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 38 minutes past the hour now, turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. A shares closed out the week uh, in very poor shape too. The Shanghai Composite and Shenzhen Component Indexes plunged uh, by more than 2% each and that leaves the Shanghai Composite around 1% lower for the week and back below 3,200 points for the first time since late July. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchanges made an effort to try and boost sentiment, uh, saying that they'll be taking a look at ways to cut trading costs for investors. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a move that's really designed to try and increase the liquidity available to be spent in the markets. Uh, that first change uh, is obviously proposing to allow investors to place smaller orders, reducing uh, trades from the uh, existing block of 100 shares down uh, to allow trade in even a single share. Now, uh, that would be a fairly major change and they're also planning some changes to uh, trading for ETFs to try and revive market confidence.
But uh, confidence really was the issue and there was very little of it around today. Uh, every sector traded lower with financials leading the losses and substantial falls as well for market heavyweights. We saw uh, Guizhou Maltai down by 2.2% uh, and China Life Insurance down by 3.5%. Uh, that was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was uh, down over eight-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained around eight-tenths of a percent. Uh, tourism demand in China has seen a, a new surge with the resumption of group tours to dozens of more overseas destinations. According to data from SeaTrip, the newly released destinations have triggered an immediate surge in searches for travel products. The number of flight ticket bookings to Japan and South Korea soared nearly tenfold compared with the beginning of the year. Since February, China has resumed outbound group tours uh, to three groups of destinations involving 138 countries and regions. Many tourists are renewing their passports and airlines are adding international flights as China's outbound travel pricing is picking up pace. Uh, Yu Boakun has details. Many Chinese people are hardly sitting still and itched to prepare for their first outbound travel in the post-pandemic era. That is as China gradually resumed the overseas group travel. Travelers' enthusiasm has been unleashed with the surge in passport applications. Here at Xiamen Exit Entry Administration, people are lining up to apply and renew their documents. I want to go to Thailand or Vietnam. We can apply for passport via self-service channel. It's so convenient. Since the beginning of the year, Xiamen has received nearly 30,000 applications from Chinese citizens, basically back to pre-pandemic level. To cope with the rising outbound travel demand, China is seeing an accelerating pace to add more international flights, which also brings down the ticket prices. I've been monitoring flight ticket price to Manila. Now the price is reasonable, about 4,000 yuan, so I decided to go there with my friends. Salmon Airlines have also been increasing their international flight. The carrier's international routes have resumed to over 300 flights per week, an increase about 20% compared to previous month. Since March, Xiamen Airlines has resumed a daily Xiamen Bali route, which is also the first airline in China to do so. We also added more flights to places like Hong Kong, Macau, Manila, Singapore, etc. Well, it goes without saying that China's recovering outbound travel demand will bring greater confidence to the global tourism industry. According to United Nations World Tourism Organization, China was one of the world's major outbound tourism contributors before the pandemic. Chinese travelers spent $255 billion in 2019, accounting for almost 20% of the all-international tourism spending. That was Yu Bokun reporting. On the coast of Fujian province, uh, Chuanzhou is widely recognized as the starting point of the ancient maritime Silk Road. With the aim of promoting the growth of small and medium-sized enterprises, the city's taken the initiative to establish an international trade center. The center's first floor displays local businesses and specialty products from different parts of the city. It also serves as a bustling trading hub for over 200 companies nationwide, offering a wide array of products including foods, essentials, and and unique artisanal gifts. Tsai Jingfeng is a project leader at the center. Our center has established connections with more than 10 industrial belts in the province. We got all sorts of products from shoes, clothes, and packaged food to electronics and machinery. And we also have a strong trade connection with countries and regions along the Belt and Road, such as Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, 
Malaysia, Singapore, and Vietnam. The center has also launched an online trading platform, offering one-stop service for the entire cross-border trade process. Since its inception three years ago, export value at the center has surpassed 10 billion yuan, or roughly 1.4 billion U.S. dollars. Customs data shows that the imports and exports in the pilot-free trade zones in Guangxi Zhuang Autonomous Region surpassed 144 billion yuan, or roughly 20 billion U.S. dollars, in the first seven months of this year. The figure represents an increase of nearly 56 percent, accounting for over 36 percent of the region's foreign trade. During the seven-month period, the FTZ imported about 13 million tons of commodities, an increase over 81 percent. It exported more than 30 billion yuan of high-tech products during the period, an increase of 70%. China's top economic regulators unveiled plans to boost sales of household goods and services. One of the sectors benefiting from these measures is the pre-made food industry, with the southern city of Foshan leading the growth. Huang Fei spoke with several business owners and customers. This is the start of a long line of fish processing, with workers sorting the catch by size to meet the needs of different buyers. After almost three decades of selling live fish, Ling Zhumei envisions a lucrative future in prepared slices. When pandemic restrictions were first lifted, people flocked to restaurants, leading to a surge in orders for our pre-made packages. These packages help restaurants save costs and speed up their service. Currently, we are operating at full capacity. We're constructing a new factory with smart machines, which should increase our daily output to 500,000 kilos. Lin received 400,000 U.S. dollars in government subsidies to buy new equipment and anticipates more grants once the new plant is complete. Over 200 startups entered the pre-made food sector in Foshan last year, drawn by market potential and government support. Some business owners also attribute their confidence to the recent pro-business stance of the country's top leadership. In Guangzhou, Alibaba's supermarket chain Freshipo is expanding its selection of ready-made meal options, catering to the growing appetite of young professionals and busy parents. Ready meals make up 7 to 80 percent of my diet. Living alone, there's often limited fresh food at the wet markets by the time I leave work. It's convenient. As our living standards improve, we don't mind spending money to save time. The pre-made foods market in China is projected to reach 144 billion U.S. dollars by 2026. But such products still face challenges in terms of freshness, taste and diversity. Freshipo hopes to address some of these pressure points through an industry alliance. Collaborating with agricultural companies allows us to source better ingredients. Centralized kitchens can help improve production standards, and universities can explore how to make frozen food taste as good as fresh. While the return of restaurants may slow the growth of retail food packages, many industry insiders believe the rising trend of ready-made meals is here to stay. That was Huang Fei reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, England captain Harry Kane's on his way to Germany. Something special is happening in Miami. The GOAT Lionel Messi has been scoring goals in bunches since joining MLS side Inter Miami and is attracting a huge local and international audience. Meanwhile, owner David Beckham and his celebrity friends have also added to the intrigue. What impact is celebrity culture and the Messi effect having on this league and team? Do European leagues need to be taking notes from their playbook? 
Join our discussions this week on the Sideline Story podcast to unpack this trending football topic. 47 past the hour. Turning to sports now, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. England captain Harry Kane is said to have a medical at Bayern Munich after Tottenham permitted him to travel to Germany. Bayern and the Spurs agreed a deal worth more than 100 million euros for the 30-year-old. Providing there are no unexpected issues, Kane's move will be completed in time to start the Bundesliga season next week. His first game with Bayern could be this weekend against RB Leipzig in the German Super Cup. Reports say Liverpool is close to completing the signing of Brighton midfielder Moises Caicedo with a British record transfer fee of £111 million. Chelsea had made an £80 million bid for the Ecuadorian player, but the Reds came with a bigger offer to sign the 21-year-old. Liverpool lost midfielders Jordan Henderson and Fabinho to the Saudi Pro League last month. At the FIFA Women's World Cup, Sweden knocked out Japan with a 2-1 win in their last 16 encounter. Japan was inches away from an equalizer, but Aoba Fujino's 90th minute free kick hit the bar and bounced on the goal line before it was cleared by Swedish defenders. Earlier in the day, Spain reached the Women's World Cup quarterfinals for the first time after dispatching the Netherlands 2-1 in extra time. While Spain was expected to lean on the experience of Alexa Putelis and others, teenager Selma Paraluelo had a spectacular impact off the bench, scoring a solo effort in the 111th minute. Pep Guardiola says repeating last season's treble is an impossible task for Manchester City ahead of their Premier League opener against Burnley. City won the League, FA Cup and the Champions League last season to become the first English side since Manchester United in 1999 to win those three trophies together in the same season. I don't think so. It will be possible to do what you have done last season. So it's one in a lifetime. So I said to the players, forget about it. That so we climbed the highest mountain last season. What we have done the last two days, we we came down to the mountain and we start from the from there. When everyone, there are a host of games to look forward to in the Premier League this weekend, including Chelsea versus Liverpool, Arsenal against Nottingham Forest, and the Manchester United versus the Wolves. Real Madrid have been dealt a massive blow after their first tries goalkeeper Thibaut Courtois suffered an ACL injury in training days before their opening La Liga clash of the 2023-24 season. The former Chelsea and Atletico man is expected to miss the majority of the season and is set to undergo surgery soon. Several names have been mentioned in the media that Madrid could target to step in for Courtois, including former Manchester United stalwart David De Gea, who recently became available as a free agent after United signed Andrea Onana. The annual Lemieux Classic Surfing Competition has kicked off in Cape Town, South Africa. The event is solely dedicated to women's surfers. More than 100 of them took to the waves to display their longboarding skills at the popular surfers' corner. Travis Andrews spoke to the participants. Cape Town Surfers' Corner is a popular spot for surfers of all skill levels, from beginners to professionals. It's also a favorite for many surfing academies. For this reason, that the annual Lemuse Classic Surfing Competition was once again held here. The event has been set aside exclusively for female surfers. This is event brought together everyone from beginners to experienced female longboarders. Organizers aim to build a passion for the sport and increase competitiveness amongst women in the mother city. 
We have from all the way from uh, the 50s all the way down to um, under 14s. And then we have the development side, which we all um, in the process of actually going and developing the sport with them. Hopefully one day we will get a woman of colour who will be our national champion or world champion. Community support for this event has been growing and the crowds gathered to cheer on the participants, many of whom were making their debut in this competition. For many of the participants, the Lemuse Classic is not just about competing, it's also about teaching and learning, especially from the senior surfers who've spent years mastering the waves. Women surfing together and have giving confidence to the younger girls that are starting, or even women who have started surfing at an older age, which there are many. Does not, you know, not everybody starts when they're children. So, and this gives them, I think they feel confident to come along and you learn from any competition that you take part in. This year's event once again proved to be a success, not just for the competition winners, but also for the new surfers, who've gained valuable experience from a collective group of like-minded individuals. That was Travis Andrews in South Africa. In tennis, Chinese hopeful Zhang Qingwen's Canadian Open campaign ended in the second round, where she fell in a straight set loss to Lyudmila Samsonova. In men's action in Toronto, Daniil Medvedev continued his standout Masters 1000 campaign by cruising past Lorenzo Musetti in straight sets to advance to the last eight. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina battled from a third set deficit to beat Kasper Root through a tiebreak and denied the third seed a place in the quarterfinals. Root was two points away from victory before Davidovich Fokina served his way out of trouble. And that's all for sports. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang. Uh, coming up in culture and entertainment, uh, the Emmys have delayed this year's award show. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, organizers have postponed the 75th Emmy Awards to January 15th as Hollywood writers and actors strike over labor disputes with major studios. The Emmys were originally slated to air on September 18th. The Television Academy announced the nominations for the highest honors in American television last month, just before the dual work stoppage started. Uh, Shanghai has become a global coffee capital in recent years with more coffee shops than any other city in the world. But another Chinese city is also earning a highly caffeinated reputation. Last year, Suzhou became the country's top bean buyer, importing more than 90,000 tons of java. Zhang Shiswan reports on the unique coffee lifestyle the city's created mixed with Chinese culture. She spoke to some of the coffee shop owners and customers. Grey bricks and tiles. The look of a typical street in the historic culture city of Suzhou. The 500-meter-long lane dates back to the Song Dynasty 1,000 years ago. There's old saying in Chinese, you can smell a good wine from the end of an alley. But from this old lane in the 21st century spreads the fragrance not of wine, but coffee. And some is blended with Chinese style. Walking to the coffee shop. And you hear the music of Quinchi Opera, a 600-year-old tradition born here in Suzhou. It's not hard to tell from the music, the decoration, and from what's on sale 
that it's a coffee shop with the theme of the Chinese traditional opera. It's amazing. The Western culture meets with the niche Eastern culture. I wanted to give it a try. It's a yarn shop opened just a year ago by two graduates who studied Quanchu in a local Chinese opera school. At peak times, they're selling two or three hundred cups a day, and using up three pounds of coffee beans. We change our menu every three or four months because consumers need new stuff to stimulate their spending. For example, we have developed three special coffee drinks based on three famous arias from the Opera Peony Pavilion. Each drink based on a part of the story. We've got a lot of suppliers now. Some came to us after we opened. We've now got a lot of choices. Within a few steps, another cafe is hidden inside a yard along the lane, with a name that easily attracts passersby. Soy milk is a typical drink for breakfast in China, so the name attracts people at first sight. Then they figure out that this is a cafe. Apart from in-store beverage service, the store also sells coffee beans that they roast themselves. I'm a Suzhou local, and I drink a cup of coffee every day. Two years ago, I began noticing that there were a lot of cafes around. Many are small and exquisite, especially on the streets of the old areas. I came back from Malaysia. Cafes in China have more refined decoration and more kinds of coffee drinks. Cafes abroad usually feature relative simple coffees. To open a coffee shop in the city of Suzhou, which already boasts more than 1,600 cafes, Lu says you have to keep your offerings as diverse as possible and cross-promote with other city attractions. That was Zhang Shuswan on the coffee culture in Suzhou. The Institute of Oil Painting has launched the Painting Fragments exhibition at Yuncheng Museum in Beijing. The exhibition showcases more than 30 oil paintings and ink works by Ding Tianchui, a renowned modern artist. A special section also displays Ding's biography as well as a lineage of masters and disciples through books and documents. Ding belongs to the second generation of 20th-century Chinese oil painting artists. Ethnic groups across southwest China have celebrated the Torch Festival. People lit fires, sang, and danced to pray for safety and a good harvest, and used the occasion to make friends and trade goods. Also dubbed as the Eastern Carnival, the Torch Festival has been included on the National Intangible Heritage List since 2006. An extremely rare catfish species has been rediscovered in the Lansung River in Qinghai Province after disappearing for over 40 years. Locals had not seen the fish since the 1970s, and many experts considered the fish to be critically endangered, if not extinct. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now. Checking the forecast before we go away for the weekend, and Beijing's getting moderate rainfall and 23 degrees overnight tomorrow. A light rain and a high of 29. Chongqing has a light rain and 30 this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 36. Alas, is getting showers and 12 overnight. Then a light rainfall and 23 on Saturday. Hong Kong has heavy rain and 26 this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 30. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo is 25 overnight, partly cloudy, and 33 on Saturday. Islamabad's at 26 this evening, then thunderstorms and 36. Bangkok's 27 overnight, thunderstorms and 35 on Saturday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting cloudy skies and 23 degrees Celsius.
And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Typhoon Canoons expected to make landfall in Liaoning Province in the northeast after cutting across the Korean Peninsula. And China's foreign minister is in Singapore and has met with the city-state's prime minister. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.